The war in Ukraine now into its second week. How much more support can NATO allies provide without being drawn into the conflict? With some insight on this, we're joined this morning by Andrew Rasoulis, fellow at the Canadian Global Affairs Institute and an expert in Eastern European affairs. Good morning to you, Andrew. Thanks so much for being with us. Good morning. Good to good to have you on. Good to be on your show again. Uh, let's let's talk a little bit about uh, you know the the U.S. move it just announced yesterday to uh, to ban Russian oil imports. Does this have the effect necessary? And is there more that the U.S. can still do? But is this a big one? It's a big one. Uh, it's uh, I mean there is a symbolic element to it as well. But I mean it's the Europeans who depend mostly on on Russian gas and oil. Uh, the United States. Uh, uh, there's a, some measure in Canada is almost negligible, um, but this has ripple effects worldwide uh, in terms of a price, but also it's a further ratcheting up of, uh, of sanctions against Russia that makes the Russian economy that much more difficult to generate income. And, uh, and President Biden said this will start to choke off the Russian war machine. Question is, how long does this take how long does these sanctions have to be in place before they have the desired effect? Mm-hmm. And, and there's, so there's the desired effect on the, on the technical aspects of the Russian economy, but there's also uh, equally important, perhaps more important, uh, is the impact on the Russian people, the political mood in Russia, and amongst the political elites of Russia, which govern with Putin. Um, and that, we don't know the impact that will have. We know it is having an impact. We don't know the political effect of the impact. It's still too early to tell right now. And with, you know, there's been, you know, more media muzzling in Russia, so it's a little harder to get stuff out of Russia, information flows and so on. Although information still is coming through various means. But it's, anyways, the point is that there's no short term uh, good news to give you. I was reading an article about the impact uh, this time out, you know, compared, Andrew, to 20, 30, 40 years ago. Um, Cold War era that the millennials will have as far as, uh, you know, what they choose, what path they choose, the younger Russians, as far as, you know, being on TikTok, getting information and having so much connection with the rest of the globe. Could could that, uh, that be one of the game changers that we see this time out? Yeah, I mean, certainly you never go backwards in history. You always move forward. And, and you correct, uh, these are new. Now, as we look at what will eventually become the new post-war environment, because we are dealing with a major war here, so we can talk about a post-war environment. And and there's a lot of, like, as, as the war grinds on with, with huge uh, tragedy uh, occurring, uh, but there is also a parallel track still occurring on, on the diplomatic front. Uh, and you, you heard me say before, um, all wars end and they end with a diplomatic settlement of some sort eventually, once the people feel that enough bloodshed has been, has been, has been shed, and therefore, people are now prepared to make political compromises. And on that one, Zelensky, uh, with an ABC uh, uh, new, uh, report yesterday, said, gave an interview which he started to soften up his position, saying that he was prepared to look at the Russian demands on the Donbass and on neutrality status. So, you know, these are and, and tomorrow, by the, by the way, tomorrow in Ankara, in Anatolian Turkey, uh, the Russian foreign minister will be meeting with the Ukrainian foreign minister hosted by the Turkish foreign minister. And that, in a diplomatic sense, is, is another important step as they try to move forward. Now, I will, we all know there's not going to be a breakthrough on this. This is a long slog. But there are parallel tracks. What I'm saying is that diplomacy continues while war occurs. Uh, and diplomacy tries to shape an ending for the war. The war determines the conditions. So 
that's where we're at now. And uh, the, 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 the young people of Russia, yeah, how much influence will they have? We don't know, actually. Mm-hmm. We just don't know. But it's a factor. So is diplomacy maybe what Ukraine is after? Because we were talking off air, Andy and I, about, you know, Poland offering fighter jets. Why something like that might not go ahead so quickly? Are there strings attached to that? Because I feel like that would really help, obviously, the Ukrainian people to be able to have, you know, that in their arsenal, literally. Yeah, except that, yes, but there is this fundamental issue with that. Who's going to fly them in? Um, because uh, the and then that's why it's bogged down. The Americans okay. have said to the Poles, "This is this is not a tenable offer." Poles have made actually the Poles made that they were consulting the Americans. It's kind of interesting, but the point is that that the Americans have said, "Like who's going to fly these airplanes in?" Because you're going to fly them into a combat zone, and as you fly into that, once you cross uh, from the Polish border onto the Ukrainian border, that is an active combat zone. Russian fighters are in the air; they are conducting military operations. And they will certainly uh, attempt to shoot down uh, these aircraft as they enter the space. And they might as well go into a combat situation. And that pits NATO and Russia in a war, which is everyone is determined to avoid that because that leads to a wider war, which could be termed the Third World War, if you want. Um, so everyone's trying to avoid that. So the aircraft issue is uh, has been discussed, but the Americans so far call it untenable in terms of the practicalities of doing that. But diplomacy, I mean, Zelensky is looking for, I mean, at the end of the day, neither the Russians nor the Ukrainians are going to completely win this one. The Ukrainians are not going to be able to push the Russians out. The Russians, given the amount of resistance Ukrainians are putting up, uh, are unlikely to uh, uh, take over all of Ukraine anytime soon without having huge collateral damage themselves in many different ways. So I think both sides have an interest to settle this thing with some form of compromise. We're not there yet, but I believe that uh, we're, we're eventually going to get there. Back to the you know, the, the uh, Polish uh, jets that could be potentially used in Ukraine by Ukrainian forces. Is it a case when you say who flies them in? Is that why Poland has approached the states and has been so adamant that they don't want to be the ones to fly them in, that they think that there'd be strength in numbers? Uh, and is that the same reason that the U.S. does not want to? Exactly. Exactly. I mean, the Poles said, okay, we'll, we'll offer these jets, you know, because they're MiGs, right? They're the things that the Ukrainian Air Force can operate. So, so they're saying, you know, but we don't want to fly them in because we, Poland, don't want to go to war with Russia. Right. Yeah, simple oh. as that. And the Americans are saying, well, neither do we. <laughs> what about the no-fly zone over Ukraine? Do you think NATO will consider imposing that? Well, they uh, no, uh, I mean, they have considered and they've vehemently rejected it. Why? Um, because because it, it, it actually leads to a war situation. So in order to have a no-fly zone, it means that essentially we have to, because it's not a policing action, don't just declare it, you have to actually send NATO fighter jets to fight with Russian fighter jets and, and all the other systems, the anti-aircraft systems are coming. You basically go to an air war. Uh, so we go to war with Russia. NATO goes to war with Russia to, to create a no-fly zone. Essentially, there's, that's, that means a major war in Europe and involving Canada and the United States. Mm. Oh, wow. In- incredible. Uh, what do you, yep. I mean, nobody has a crystal ball, but what do you expect to see from the Russians over the next, uh, you know, I guess, handful of days or a couple of weeks? Because things seem to be moving slowly. We're hearing that they are yeah. gaining some ground. Any expectations what we could expect? So I, on, on, so on the military side, I expect a grinding offensive. Very slow. Uh, the Russians are having great difficulty, but they have the numbers. 
Uh, so the Russians, uh, the Russians have been there historically many times before Berlin, 1945, uh, Spain, uh, sorry, Aleppo in, in, uh, and, uh, and Grozny. So like Syria and, and Chechnya. So they have fought through these things before. They, they, the Russians know how to do brutal, uh, urban warfare. They have the numbers to sustain it. Uh, so they will continue to drive, uh, and they will press this attack to encourage the Ukrainians to soften their diplomatic stance and make a deal uh, with them. And then, so the parallel track is I'm looking at what's happening there. But beyond the bilaterals of Russia and Ukraine, we have to step back and, and be aware that uh, China is, is starting to play an important background role. Um, they, they, the Chinese leader had a, a, a telephone uh, video conference with Macron and the German chancellor. And, the, and France and Germany are the two key pivotal players in, in Europe, Western Europe, that are also trying to broker a peace deal. Uh, I mean, Macron is in constant contact with Putin, trying to work something out. So, and China is the real, they have the economic hammer. And so they are the big player here, and they are involved. And the Chinese have made it very clear that they find this to be uh, a very unwelcome development for war. They haven't, they, they, they have, they, they're sort of siding with the Russians, but not overtly, I mean, not completely. Um, they want a settlement. The, the Chinese, this is, this is hurting the international economy, yeah. and the Chinese don't want this to happen so basically there's a lot going on thank you so much sorry we have to leave it there for time we could talk to you forever thank you so much for your expertise really appreciate it this morning you're very welcome you're very welcome andrew rasoulis fellow at the canadian global affairs institute and an expert in eastern european affairs